blindfold games are fun. The mystery, right, of not being able to see, wanting to play, wanting to trick your friends, it, that can be really fun. Doing life with a blindfold is not fun. Doing life with a blindfold is terrible. There's a verse in our passage tonight which says this. No one, next slide thing, no one has seen God. Okay, this is the universal condition that every single human being in the world has. You may have seen God, but I'd be very surprised. But most people, if not everyone, has not seen God. You may have a vision, you might have had a dream, but you, haven't had to, you have not looked him in the eyes or her in the eyes. You see, no one has had a face-to-face encounter with God. We've got blindfolds on. The problem when you don't, sorry, the problem when you can't see someone is that you have to speculate. You have to imagine what they're like. I've never met Payne Haas. I've never met Josh Papali. I was corrected for that. But I imagine that they look like me. Okay? No, they don't look anything like me. They're a foot taller and a foot wider. But I speculate what they're like. This is a three-month baby. We get to speculate what this baby's going to be like. Maybe they're going to be beautiful and charming and sophisticated and witty like their mother. Or they're going to be opinionated and stubborn and annoying like their... I won't finish that sentence. It's speculation, right? We've got no idea. When will we find out what that child's like? When we meet them. When we watch them grow up. You see, you've got to have direct contact to know what someone's like or you're speculating. Now, it doesn't matter what that baby's like, but I tell you what, it really matters about God. Because whatever's in your brain about God shapes how you live every day of your life. Okay? The dominant metaphor tonight is a ladder. I want you to imagine that every single one of us is climbing on the ladder of life. Start at the bottom, working up, okay? So wherever we are in this room, you're somewhere on your own ladder of life. And that means wherever you are, you look down and you go, where did I come from? Your belief in God answers that question. You look straight ahead and you grab hold of that rail and you go, what the heck am I doing here in this world? The answer to that question for you will be dependent on what you think about God. And when you look up and you go, what is beyond the ladder? The answer to that question will be dependent on what you think about God. You guys, have got a, you guys have got atheist friends at school and at uni and at TAFE and at work, right? They speculate really strongly that there is no God. That's their speculation. And so when they look down, where did we come from? Probability. That's their answer. And they look straight ahead. What am I here for? my own happiness. So how do they live their life? An atheist, they just push other people down to get their own happiness. That's the the secularist way of life. Now, a bunch of you know highly religious people. You know that you might have some Muslim friends or some Hindu friends or just really religious people. They look down and they go, yeah, I'm made by God. They look ahead, what am I here for? I've got to be good. I've got to think the right things. I've got to try and be 
better all the time. And so they're constantly working their way up the ladder, just trying to be good, feeling guilty, trying to be better. Some of you might know some Eastern religion people, okay, really different worldview. They look down and they go, there could be millions of gods. Where do we come from? Something. Maybe they're being reincarnated. And then they look ahead and they grab the rail and they go, what am I here for? And they have to go, well, I have to get up the ladder through meditation or through experience. You see, what you think or speculate about God impacts how you live your life. It's an amazing picture of our world, isn't it? Seven billion people climbing a ladder with a blindfold. No wonder we have conflict about religion. No wonder we're told online all religions are the same. What bollocks is that? They aren't the same. They completely contradict each other. They are not the same. They cannot all be true. But we tell each other that because we're all speculating if we've all got blindfolds on. I want you to know it's into this world of blindfolded people that we're confronted with the unmatched claim of Christianity. Now, you might be here for the first time. You've never heard about Jesus. This is the most unique thing about Christianity compared to every other religion and worldview in the world. Here it is. No one's ever seen God. Okay, we agree with that, comma. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him no other religion will say this. Secularists won't say it. But Christians will say, the Son of God, who is himself God, has made God known in history. In Ed speak, God's come down the ladder and taken the blindfold off. You can leave tonight and never have to speculate about whether God exists ever again. You don't have to think, I have to imagine what God is like. No, no, no. If this is true, then you can leave knowing exactly what God is like because he's come down the ladder. Now, in John chapter 1, as you heard it read, you'll have noticed that God comes down the ladder in a mysterious character, and it's called the Word. And so tonight, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk through eight points. You think, we're here to midnight, right? We're not here to midnight, okay? They're going to be really, really quick, okay? We're going, we're going for a skate over John 1, not a deep into John 1 tonight, okay? So eight rungs of the ladder, God coming down, point number one. Um, the points aren't numbered one to eight. They're numbered big point, then one to seven. Don't worry about that. It worked this morning, okay? Number one. The word is. Okay, we've got to work out who this word is. Have a look at John chapter 1, verse 1. Put your finger on it. In the beginning was the word. Now, it's a mysterious character, isn't it? Why has John done this? John is incredible. What John knows is he looks in front of him and goes, I've got a Greek, a mystic, and a Jew. How do I get them all to listen to me? Okay, Greeks, I'm going to say, let's talk about the word. And the Greeks go, yeah, yeah, we know what the word is. The word is the logos of the universe, the key principles. And they're all going, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The mystic, 
they go, oh, yeah, we know what the logos, sorry, we know what the word is. That's the inner conscious reason. The mystics are going, yeah, I'm with you, John. And the Jews go, hey, we know the word. Genesis chapter 1, God speaks. Proverbs, Deuteronomy. We know the word. The word is the Old Testament where God powerfully self-expressed himself in creation and revelation and salvation. And so John does this word thing. He brings these three people together and he goes, hey, everyone. The true word is Jesus. The word you are looking for, the logos of the universe, your inner conscience, the word of the Old Testament, the true word, the ultimate word is Jesus Christ. So seven points about the word. Number one, the word was before creation. So have a look at verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John says, church at 6.30, go back in your imagination. Go beyond COVID. Go back to school. Go when before you were born, before your parents met, before last century, before Jesus, before Moses, before Abram, before Adam and Eve, before, before. Actually, go as far in your imagination as possible. And do you know who's there? The Word. The Word. The Son of God was there. It's so important, isn't it? Because at Christmas, we see baby Jesus. And we kind of think, oh, that's the beginning of Christianity. No, no, no. That's his arrival, not his beginning. The Son of God has always been there. And that's because the Word is not logic, it's not reason, it's not an inner conscience. The Son of God is God. You see it there? The Word was God. The Word, the Son of God, is uncreated, self-sufficient, self-sustaining. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. Three persons in Trinity. And before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, utterly happy with each other. The Son of God is before creation. Number two, the Word made creation. See it there in verse three? Verse three, through the Word, all things were made. Now in the negative, without the Word, nothing was made that has been made. Same point, said twice, right? John uses a positive and a negative to say the same thing. Everything, every person, Everything we eat and drink and play with is made by the Son of God. We saw that last week with Chris's talk in Colossians 1, didn't we? What it means is, look down the ladder, you're not the result of probability. You're handmade by the Son of God. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not an imperfect thing that's going to get involved into something else. No, no, you are handmade by the Son of God. And look at verse 4. In the Word was life. I love that. If you want to write notes, John 5, 26 is good to look up later. What it means is the Word, the Son of God, He shares the self-existing life of God the Father. He's not created. He has life in Himself. And then keep going in that sentence. And this life was the life of mankind. Now, it's a hard sentence. What does it mean? What it means is 
We utterly depend on Jesus for life. You guys are incredibly creative. Some of you are builders and studiers and musicians and doctors. The only way you are creative and interesting is because of the Son of God. Because without the Son of God, you'd be that, a statue. Nice, but a statue. You have life, transformation, information, conversion because of the Son of God. Because in Him is life. Number three, the Word reveals Himself to creation. Who popped up randomly in verse six? John the Baptist. Okay? Now, why is John the Baptist there? Well, John, who wrote this book, he wants to say he's not the Word, he's not the light. He's just a man. He's born. And he's been given a role by God to be a witness or what we know is kind of like a signpost pointing to the word. Now, why is that important in John chapter 1? It's important to ask that. Why does he bring up John the Baptist? Here's why. Imagine after church tonight, we're wandering around here. And in our time machine, we're in the first century. And Jesus walks in you'd just walk past him. You wouldn't even notice him. He was so ordinary. He was so normal. You would just walk up Summer Street, just walk straight past him. You know what John the Baptist says? This one is extraordinary. You've got to look at that one. Because Jesus doesn't turn up with a halo on his head. He doesn't come in a big uniform. He's ordinary looking, but extraordinary. Look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John the Baptist says, Jesus is the true light. The word true here is not um, the opposite of lies. The word true here means genuine and ultimate. So Jesus is the genuine and ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. Now, for those of you who are looking closely, you'll notice that John says, he gives light to everyone. What does that mean? Is it that everyone's going to become a Christian in the world? No. The word light here is not about salvation, but illumination. It's like Jesus turns up and a big light in the world gets turned on. And that everyone can see God. What that means is 7 billion people, if they look at Jesus, will be able to see God. They don't have to speculate anymore. Number four, the word divides creation. Steve Jobs makes Apple. You may be an Apple hater. You may be an Apple lover. I don't care. Okay? He made his own company in 1976 with Steve Wozniak. He built Apple. He was 21. Don't waste your life, you 20-year-olds. Ready? Okay? In 1985, when he was 30, you know what happened? He got kicked out of his own company. They mutinied. They threw him out. They said, Steve Jobs, we don't know you anymore. Now, we know he had the last laugh, right? Okay. But at that moment in 1985, he was kicked out, mutiny. Look at verse 11. The word came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Global mutiny. The word comes to his creation and is rejected. The Son of God who has life in himself comes and people 
don't want to know him. And that's because Jesus' arrival causes division. We know that, don't we? If you've been at all around Christians for more than two minutes, you know Jesus creates division. Christmas story, right? Um, King Herod, I want to kill him. The wise man, I want to worship him. All through Jesus' life. Pharisees, we're going to kill him. Fishermen, we'll quit our jobs. We're going to follow him. On the cross, two criminals. One, you're an idiot, Jesus. The other one, Jesus, remember me. I want to come to heaven. When Jesus returns, there are going to be goats and sheep. You see, there is division when the word turns up. But look at verse 12. Love this verse. Yet to all who receive the word, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. To those who receive the word, they're welcomed into God's family, no strings attached. It's incredible. Are you in God's family? You don't have to climb up the ladder to get in. You don't have to meditate your way in. You don't have to think your way in. You just have to believe in the Son who came. And when you do, you are given the authority to claim you are God's children. Love that. What it means is every morning you can stare in the mirror and go, I have the authority to call myself God's child today. I don't deserve it. But God has given it to me because I've received the Son. And if you receive the Son, you get everything. There's a famous old story. It's an old man, rich as rich, right? And we're talking really, not orange rich, we're talking really rich. These are the rich people who collect art, okay? If you have really expensive paintings, you're in the rich, rich category. Like Monet and Renoir, and that's my limit, okay? So, right, you know what I'm with? So imagine here's you walk into his house, it's like, wow, 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 wow. That's not a print. That's the real thing, right? Okay? He dies. He dies. What are we going to do with this? In his will, he says, I want you to auction all my paintings. Okay? So they get all the rich, other rich people in the world together to buy them. And they put them in a room and they line them up. And then the will says, rule number one, you must sell the painting of my son first. Now, his son had died in World War I. And before he'd gone off to war, this rich man had painted a portrait of his son. He was a terrible painter. It was an awful painting. But it was his son. And he painted it. And he said, that's the first painting that has to be sold. And so the auctioneer brought it up and says, item number one, portrait of the son, can I have a bid? That was the sound in the room. There wasn't a bid. No one wanted that picture. That's not why we came. That's not a masterpiece. Total silence. Minute after minute after minute. Silence, silence, silence. Until finally up the back, the butler, who had served the family for 20 years. I'll pay. And he put in a bid. 50 cents equivalent to today, right? Nothing. Anyone else? Sold. The auctioneer then said these words. Ladies and gentlemen, the auction is now complete. The second rule of the auction 
was that whoever got the portrait of the son gets the rest. That's John 1. If you get the son, you get everything. Number five, the word becomes flesh. Verse 14, the word becomes flesh and made his dwelling among us. Some of you like big words. Here's a big word, incarnation. Okay, that's what this verse is. God taking on human flesh in history. So God becoming 100% human. And God takes on this flesh to make a dwelling among us. That word dwelling is really important because the, the language is all about um, tabernacle or tent. And it's meant to make us think, where did we meet God in the Old Testament? We met him in the tent and then we met him in the temple. And what God is saying here is, I don't meet you in the tent or the temple anymore. I meet you in Jesus. Because God has made his dwelling among us. And I love this. This is the great news of Christianity. Your life, like my life, is a mess. I'm climbing the ladder. I'm struggling. Where's God? He's not out there. God has come down the ladder and made his dwelling beside us. He meets us in the mess. He doesn't say, come and find me. He doesn't say, meditate yourself. He says, I meet you in the mess. Jesus becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. Which means as you meet Jesus in the word, he is like you, understands you, represents you, walks with you. Number six, the word of glory. The second half of verse 14, second half of verse 14, we have seen his glory, the one, sorry, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who comes, came from the father full of grace and truth. As you look at the word, at Jesus, you see the glory of God. Now some of you are going, yeah, so what? That's nice. No, no, no. You've got to read your Old Testaments, don't you? Who could look at the glory of God in the Old Testament? No one. Do you know all Moses could see was the afterglow of God's glory? He couldn't look at God's glory. He could just see kind of the, the reflection of it. Isaiah had a vision of God, Isaiah 6, and he sees the glory of God in the vision. It's just a vision. He shattered for weeks. Can't speak. You see, the glory of God, God's character, God's majesty, God's holiness, God's bigness is so distinct from you and me as sinful people. If we look at it, we will die. But look what the verse says. We have seen his glory. The arrival of Jesus, the word, enables human beings like you and me to look at God's glory. We can see it veiled in Jesus incarnate in the world and we will be able to see it in full when we see Jesus in heaven. But every time you look at Jesus' miracles, Jesus' words, and ultimately Jesus on that cross, you are seeing the glory, the character, the majesty of God. And if you've got, um, if you're writing notes, John 14, 9, John 14, 9, 
Jesus says this incredible verse. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who sees Jesus sees God the Father. But how can sinful people see God's glory? Number seven, the word of grace. Verse 16, out of the fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. God doesn't come down the ladder to go, hey, I just want to say hi. God doesn't come down the ladder and go, keep going. God comes down the ladder and says, I want to give you grace, kindness, mercy, forgiveness. That's why God comes down the ladder. He came to die on a cross. You can only ever see God's glory. You can only call yourself a child of God because of the grace of Jesus. And what does this verse mean? Grace in place of grace or grace upon grace in your Bibles or a version of that. All it means is the Old Testament was full of God's grace. The promises to Abram, the giving of the law, they're all grace moments. But Jesus is the grace upon that. The fulfillment, the better grace, the ultimate grace. Because he comes down and does what the whole Old Testament pointed to was to restore our relationship with God. Cult film. What is it? Forrest Gump. Well done. Go and waste three hours of your life watching this movie. I know. It divides people, like the word. (laughs) See that little feather there? That's the theme in the whole movie, right? This feather kind of drops in, drops out, kind of following it around, right? Tom Hanks playing Forrest Gump, he says this in the middle of the movie. I don't know who is right, Mum or Lieutenant Dan, whether we are all like feathers floating on a breeze or whether we have a destiny. It's a really sad quote, isn't it? Are you just feathers on a breeze? Horrible to think. Is, is that me? Am I just on this ladder as this feather floating on a bro- Well, that's life in a blindfold, isn't it? Forrest Gump says, I don't know where I've come from. I don't know where I'm going. I've got no assurance about anything. That's what happens when the blindfold is on and you don't know God. But you know what John 1 says? God's made himself known in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus is the Lord of this life. Jesus is the Lord of the next life. And you can leave this building tonight with absolute certainty that you're connected to the God of life. Why does it matter? You can go to bed tonight if you know Jesus, knowing where you've come from. Handmade by God. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can go to bed tonight knowing you are a child of God forever. Good days, bad days, doesn't matter. You're always a child because you know the Son. If you know Jesus, you know where you're going. COVID or no COVID, failed exams or no failed exams, single, want to be single, broken up, doesn't matter. You know where you're going. You're going to be with Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you know God. What's the application? Um, 
John 1 is an overture. Okay, so what that means is this is a really long piece of music and John 1 is kind of like all the themes of the music that you're going to hear through the rest of the book. Okay, if that illustration doesn't work for you, ask someone who's musical. All right? But what's the application when you hear the overture? You don't leave at that point, do you? You listen to the whole piece. You know what John wants you to do this week? Read John. 21 chapters. Read it this week. Let church impact you every single day. Read a chapter, two chapters a day. You can listen to it via Bible Gateway, catch up with a friend and read it, read it as family groups, whatever. Why? Because as you get to know the Jesus of John, you are getting to know the God of your life. And if you want a bit of a challenge this week, why don't you ask a non-Christian friend to read it with you? You guys pray a lot about helping your friends become Christian. How will they become Christian? By meeting God. Where do we meet God? In Jesus. So grab a mate this week and say, would you like to read the Bible with me? Scary? Yeah, absolutely scary. But they're not going to get to know God unless they meet him in Jesus. Have a go this week. What can they say? No. It's not very scary. Maybe they'll say no. But maybe next Sunday you'll be able to say, I asked someone to read the Bible with me and they said yes. Speculation time is over, guys. We don't have to go out tonight and go, where is God? What's God like? It's over. Why? God has come down and revealed himself to us in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you you are not invisible or quiet or silent. You've made yourself known. Our blindfolds are off and we see you clearly in the person of Jesus. May we always look to you, Jesus, as the God of our life.